Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. And if during the course of the program, nature calls, you feel something hot and warm running down your leg, the neighbour wants to borrow a cup of sugar, ASIO wants to take you away for preventive detention... IS is door knocking. The Jehovah's Witnesses are there. Don't despair. Don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, if you only know what Anarchy is all about, Anarchist Society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society which is based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. That's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. Not very radical concepts, but very positive concepts. Okay, listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. Look, we've got an eclectic program for you today. The key word is eclectic. We're going to jump from topic to topic. It's that type of week. Now, obviously... There are many uh, topics on people's mind, but one of the uh, major topics on people's minds is the execution of uh, nine people in uh, Indonesia on Tuesday morning. One of the gentlemen from uh, Ghana, uh, Mr Anderson, um, was executed for having 50 grams of heroin in his possession. That's the type of people that have been uh, executed from uh, mass murderers to people having 50 grams of heroin in their possession. And most of them have been on death row for uh, up to a decade, some for up to 15 years. And uh, there was one woman amongst the nine executed. Now, obviously, Australians were very concerned and continue to be very concerned about Mr. About Chan Sukumara. Mr Chan and Mr Sukumara, and that's uh, very understandable, considering that uh, executing people for that type of crime really has minimal, if no, impact on the drug trade. And uh, historically we've seen that the war against drugs has been a, a total disaster. But we really need to understand the uh, type of society... Indonesia is, because we mustn't forget the historical record that in 1964, 
in the uh, CIA-inspired coup, which occurred, which saw uh, Suharto, uh, the butcher, installed as Indonesian president for uh, almost three decades, or over three decades, that um, over two million people were slaughtered. Many uh, communists and uh, their sympathisers, over two million people were slaughtered within the within a few weeks, within an eight-week period. And their bodies continue to lie in unmarked mass graves across the Indonesian archipelago. There are over 60,000 people buried in unmarked mass graves just in Bali alone. And let's not forget the East Timorese struggle for independence. How almost 250,000 people died over a 35-year period and how over 80% of the land was laid waste uh, when the Indonesians uh, lost the uh, their colony in East Timor, when the East Timorese voted for independence in 1999. Let's not forget. At close to home, let's not forget what's happening less than 200 kilometres, less than 200 kilometres from Australia's shores in West Papua. Uh, when the country was taken over in the early 19, I think it's 1961, 62, that over half a million West Papuans have died in the most atrocious manner in the last 60, in the last 50 years, 55 years, and people continue to die as we speak. Their land's been stolen. Refugees pouring out of that country. So, if you are unhappy with the execution of Mr Chan and Mr Sukumara, well, there are things you can do. Now, some people have said they'll never step foot in Indonesia again. Others have cancelled their uh, Bali holidays, but... uh, if you really, really, really want to show you're disgusted at what's happening, what's happened, in a practical sense, I would urge you strongly to support the West Papua independence movement because if there's one thing the Indonesians hate, is one of their colonies, Indonesian government's hate, is one of their colonies uh, finally cutting the chains that uh, bind them to the Indonesian Central Authority in, uh, in Jakarta. Now, Mr Jacob Rumbiak, the uh, foreign minister for the West Papuan government, is actually a resident of Melbourne. And it's been my pleasure to know him in many other West Papuan activists over the last uh, five to six years. And uh, as the convener of the West Papuan Independence Movement Rent Collective, which is a rent collective which actually pays the rent for the running of a West Papuan Independence office in Docklands in Melbourne... Uh, the uh, Department of uh, Foreign Affairs and Trade for the Federal Republic of West Papua, 
I think if you really, really want to make an impact, if you really want to highlight what you really think of the what you think of this uh, barbarity, not just of the two Australians who are executed, the other seven Austra- other seven people who are executed with the two Australians. One man from uh, Ghana for uh, possessing 50 grams of heroin. Think very carefully about supporting the West Papua independence movement. Now, the rent, the West Papua office has now been going on for a year, and I'd like to give you an invitation. From midday to 3 pm on Sunday, the 3rd of May, the Federal Republic of West Papua and Department of uh, Immigration, Trade and Foreign Affairs, their office in Melbourne, is holding a birthday gathering. The office has now been is one year old. Come along. Meet many of the brave West Papuan activists, refugees who've uh, made it to this country, who now find themselves under surveillance by uh, Indonesian authorities, Indonesian secret police, actually acting, working in Australia, following people, monitoring the activities of the West Papuan uh, independence movement and activists in this country. So join us midday this Sunday, the 3rd of May, Suite 211, 838 Collins Street, Docklands. If you use public transport, the tram will take you right to the front door. Suite 211, 838 Collins Street, Docklands, midday to 3pm. Have a look at the office. Talk to the activists. And if you're really keen, join the West Papua Independence Movement uh, Office Rent Collective. Because while we pay the rent, it's impossible for the uh, Australian government to close down the office. While we pay the rent, it's the impossible for the uh, Indonesian government to put pressure on families and friends of refugees, West Papuan refugees in this country, to close down the office. So it's, as I said before, the tragedy is that within six months, it'll be business as usual. Within six months, apart from family and close friends and the occasional media story, the very occasional media story, people will have forgotten Mr Chan and Mr Sukumara. They would have forgotten. People would have forgotten that Mr Chan and Mr Sukumara and the other seven of the Bali Nine who are rotting in Indonesian prisons are there courtesy of the Australian Federal Police who had the opportunity to arrest these people when they arrived back in Australia, but decided to alert the Indonesian police to what was actually happening, knowing that Indonesia had the death penalty for this type of offence. But there is one way you get under the skin of the Indonesian government. They can tolerate 
people not taking holidays for a few months. They can tolerate the Australian ambassador being, you know, called back for a few weeks. They can tolerate people waxing eloquently about what's actually occurred. But what they cannot tolerate, what the Indonesian government cannot tolerate, is the West Papua independence movement. The call for independence for West Papua. And I encourage you to become part of that broad-based movement. I encourage you to come to the uh, birthday gathering. There are a number of important uh, West Papuan speakers and a number of uh, other speakers who will be speaking. Uh, There's a food, drink. If you can, bring along some food and drink to add to the communal table. So it's midday, Sunday the 3rd of May, 3pm. From midday to 3pm, sorry, midday to 3pm. Sunday the 3rd of May, Suite 211, 838 Collins Street, Docklands, Melbourne. If you want further information, you can ring me on 0439 395 489 or you can ring the office directly, 9049 9590. Or go to their website uh, to look at the program, www.dfat.federalrepublicofwestpapua.org. D-F-A-I-T, D-F-A-I-T, Department of... D-F-A-I-T dot Federal Republic of West Papua dot org. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now let's move on. It's interesting how everybody's been talking about Anzac Day. And it's interesting to see how Mr Scott McIntyre, sports reporter for SBF, lost his job after Mr Turnbull intervened with SBS for tweeting a few unpalatable facts. Now, I think what people need to understand is that we do live in a country where certain things can be said and certain things can't be said without consequences. And it's like this all over the world. At least in this country, people aren't shot for actually opening their mouth. They may lose their jobs, but they're not shot yet. I think the important thing to remember is that what this highlights is the importance of of community radio in this country. Let's not forget the community radio is the child of the Whitlam Labor government. In an attempt to break the monopoly the corporate-owned media and the government-owned media had in Australia in 1972... A monopoly which ensured the Labor Party was not elected for 25 years between 1949 to 1972, the Whitlam Labor government 
gave out a number of community radio licences so that there will be alternative broadcasting in this community. There would be people who were ostracised from broadcasting in this community, in Australia, who would have the opportunity to articulate their ideas, the opportunity to present their ideas to people who wanted to listen to them, who were sick and tired of the government guild at ABC and SBS and the corporate-owned media, you know, the uh, news corporation, the 21st century foxes of the world, corporate-owned television stations. So community radio, especially before the advent of the World Wide Web and the internet, were important tools. Important tools in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s to actually give people a voice, give people like myself on the Anarchist World This Week a voice. Now, regular listeners to the Anarchist World This Week will know that we have been speaking about World War One and the myths that surround World War One for the last 25 years. And those of you who listened to the broadcast last week would actually understand the tweets that Mr McIntyre made were maybe 0.0000000001% of the type of viewpoints you hear on the anarchist world this week across the nation through the community radio network. So I think it's important that people understand the value of community radio and the unceremonious dumping of Mr McIntyre highlights how important it is for people to support community radio. We are seeing the extinction and the death of community TV as it's relegated to the YouTube in the next 12 to 24 months. They'd like to see the death of community radio. They'd like to see the death of independent radio so that they could just fire people who made the mistake of sacrificing the sacred cows in this country. They would like us to be so marginalised, so ostracised, that nobody listens to what we have to say. So I think it's essential that you support your local community radio station. Now, many radio community radio stations are basically apologists for a particular viewpoint. Not radical, conservative, whatever. But there are still some community radio stations in this country, including the one I'm broadcasting from, 3CR in Melbourne, which give a huge number of people who would normally be voiceless in our community a voice. And what happened to Mr McIntyre, the SBS soccer presenter, sports presenter, after the intervention of Mr Turnbull, the communications minister, highlights how important it is for listeners to continue to support community radio in this country. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. Mayday the facts. Now, it's interesting that in Australia, 
The 1st of May isn't celebrated in every state. There is a public holiday in Queensland. But in Victoria, there's never been a public holiday for the 1st of May. Never. And Victorians still traditionally march on the first Sunday after May Day. And uh, I normally don't take part in that march because I think if you're going to celebrate a day, you celebrate it on the day. If you're going to celebrate May Day, you celebrate it on the 1st of May. If you're going to celebrate Eureka Day, you celebrate it on the 3rd of December. If you're going to celebrate Marbo Day, you celebrate it on the 3rd of June. If you're going to, you know, commemorate Tanaminoe and Melbourne, you do it on the 26th of January. If you're going to commemorate all the people who died needlessly in World War One, and acknowledge those who fought against fascism in World War Two, you celebrate it on the 25th of April. You commemorate on the 25th of April. So it's important that we mark the day on the 1st of May. May Day, the facts. The history of May Day, both internationally and in Australia, is interlinked with the history of the anarchist movement. That's right, interlinked with the history of the Australian anarchist movement. In 1884, at a conference of the Federated Trades and Labor Unions of the United States and Canada in the United States, the conference decided to launch an intensive campaign for an eight-hour working day that will cumulate cumulate in widespread struggles on the 1st of May, 1886. Demonstrations were held across the United States and Canada on the 1st of May, 1886. In Chicago, over 30,000 workers went on strike and over 80,000 took part in demonstrations to mark the struggle for the eight-hour day. Two days later, on the 3rd of May, striking workers met outside the McCormick Harvesting Machine Company. Chicago police fired on the workers, killing four and wounding many others. Chicago anarchists organised a protest meeting in Haymarket Square for the next evening. The rally was non-violent. As the rally was breaking up, police charged the demonstrators. Someone threw a bomb at the police lines, killing one police officer. The police panicked, firing indiscriminately into the crowd and at each other. Seven police and four demonstrators were killed, and over 100 police and demonstrators were wounded. Eight prominent anarchists were rounded up and charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Although only three, Albert Parsons, August Spies, and Samuel Fielden, Fielden had spoken at the rally. All eight, Albert Parsons, August Spies, Samuel Fielden, Michael Schwab, Oscar Neeb, George Engel, Adolf Fischer and Lewis Ling were found guilty, seven sentenced to death and one Oscar Niebel to 15 years imprisonment. August Spies, George Engel, Adolf Fischer and Albert Parsons were hanged on the 11th of November 1887. Lewis Ling committed suicide the night before and Fielden's and Schwab's sentences were commuted to life in prison. All eight men were victims of the widespread hysteria whipped up by the Chicago media. It was later proven all eight men had nothing to do with the bombing. And those executed and those imprisoned 
received a full pardon. That's right, a full pardon. In Australia, on the 1st of May, 1886, brothers David and William Andre, heeding the call of the Federated Trades and Labor Unions of the United States and Canada, launched the Melbourne Anarchist Club, Australia's first anarchist organisation. Three years later, on the 14th of July 1889, the International Labour Conference, the Second International, decided to make the 1st of May a great day of international demonstration. An Australian delegate, Mr John Norton from Sydney, attended the conference on behalf of the Australian movement. The members of the Melbourne Anarchist Club celebrated the 1st of May 1887 and 1888 for a number of public meetings and lectures. May Day was celebrated in the offices of Dr William Maloney, who later became the Radical Member for the seat of Melbourne, which is interestingly held by the Greens these days, Mr Adam Bant, in 1890 and 1891. The first Australian May Day celebration and demonstrations were held in Barcaldon and Ipswich, in Queensland at the height of the Shearer strike in 1891. Over a thousand people took part. 600 Shearers were mounted on horseback. The procession was led by four strike leaders wearing blue sashes. The Oddfellows Band was followed by the banner of the Australian Labor Federation. The Eureka flag was carried by some participants during the first May Day March in Barcaldon in Queensland. So we are seeing the interlinking of the Eureka Rebellion on the 3rd of December 1854 with the first official May Day March on the 1st of May 1891 in Barcaldon. In 1893, moves were made in in Queensland, to have the eight-hour day celebrated on the 1st of May instead of March. In 1892, a public celebration was held at the Yarra Bank in Melbourne to mark May Day. The meeting was chaired by the well-known Melbourne anarchist Chummy Fleming. The meeting was preceded by a march which began at the Burke and Wills Monument, which was led by men carrying two huge red flags. In 1893, Chummy Fleming called a meeting of radical delegates from across Melbourne to organise few May Day celebrations. Chummy Fleming was involved in every May Day celebration in Melbourne until his death in 1950. His ashes were scattered on the Arab Bank on May Day the following year. Chummy Place in Carlton in Melbourne still bears his name. On the 1st of May this year, that's Friday the 1st of May, we encourage people to join us at 11am at Federation Square at the corner of Flinders and St Kilda Road to mark the 129th anniversary of the Melbourne Anarchist Club, Australia's first anarchist organisation. The history of anarchism and May Day especially in Melbourne, is intrinsically interlinked. So reclaim the past to understand the present. Join us at 11am, Friday the 1st of May, at Federation Square. We'll be marching at 11.30am from Federation Square to 40 City Road, South Bank. That's right. We'll be joining the vigil at midday 
outside the headquarters of the 24-carat leaners, Mr Murdoch's News Corporation, Australia's largest tax evaders and tax avoiders. The people who received an $886 million tax refund from the Australian Tax Office in 2013 because of the lack of legislation in this country to ensure that the corporate sector pays their fair share of tax. Now, if you're coming on the day, we need to make a public spectacle. Bring signs, bring banners, bring yourself, bring your friends. 11am assembly, 11.30am we uh, march to 40 City Road, South Bank, and then we join the vigil there from 12 to 1pm. Now, there are other activities across the country. In Melbourne at 4pm, there'll be people congregating outside the Melbourne Town Hall in Swanson Street who are involved in actions across the country regarding the forced closure of Aboriginal communities in West Australia so that their lands can be stolen. They used poison and guns during the colonisation process. Now we just use the stroke of a pen and laws to dispossess people of their lands. So there are things happening across the country. Go on your search engine. Find out what's happening on the 1st of May. Take part in it. If nothing is happening in your corner of the world, stand there with a placard. Celebrate on the day. But more importantly, highlight the inequalities that exist in this country. It's important that 23 million people living on the continent actually satisfy the needs of all their citizens, not just a little unaccountable minority. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. So if you are in Melbourne, join us. 11am, Federation Square. Then we march from there to 40 City Road and involved in a vigil from 12 to 1. So join us on the day. That's Friday, 1st of May. Celebrate May Day. It's a day, it's an international day, which has been basically pushed aside, forgotten, denigrated. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in the past 100 years because something interesting has happened in this country over the last three decades, something very interesting Between 1900 and 1980, the gap between what happened, the amount of profits which went into the pockets of the corporate sector and business owners and the amount of profits which went into the pockets of wage earners came closer and closer and closer together. That's why Australia, in many regards was regarded as a pin-up boy and a pin-up girl in the rest of the world as far as workers' rights were concerned, as far as wages were concerned, as far as overtime payments were concerned, as far as protection on the job was concerned. And this all occurred because of continuous, a 100-year struggle by working people in this country, including radical activists who are there at the very forefront of those struggles to improve people's lives, to ensure there were public hospitals, to ensure there was public education, to ensure there was public uh, infrastructure. So here we were, 
seen the gap between the haves and the have-nots, the gap between profits shrink. We saw it took seven years for an average worker in a family situation to buy a home. Today, pay off a home. Today, takes a lifetime. And if you're really lucky, you can hand on the mortgage to your kids. So since 1980 to 2015, in the last 35 years, what we've actually seen is not just a growth in the number of people who are burdened by debt, a growth in the number of people who become marginalised and disadvantaged, a, a growth in the number of people who are homeless, a growth in the number of people who find it difficult, you know, meeting their everyday financial commitments. But what we have seen is the share of profits which goes into the pockets of shareholders and company directors and the share of the profits which goes into the pockets of wage earners, those people who create, physically create that profit, has widened. So more and more profits are going to the pockets of shareholders, major shareholders in a significant degree, and company owners and CEOs, and less into the pockets of wage earners, small business. It's a fact. Every statistical indicator will tell you this. So what we are seeing is a widening in the gap. So what the dereg- the, the neoliberal agenda, the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation agenda has done is actually widened the gap, made it more and more difficult for an increasing number of Australians who are burdened by debt to actually enjoy the Commonwealth. And this has occurred to a large degree because we, as a people, have had the wool pulled over our eyes by a media, a corporate-owned media and a government-gilded ABC and SBS, which is basically there to promote the agenda of the ruling classes in this country. And I know it's not de rigueur to mention the ruling class or ruling classes in this country, but we do have ruling classes. And unfortunately in this country today, it's all about issues, religious issues, issues about race, issues about this, issues about that. Nobody looks at the wider picture. Nobody looks at why we find ourselves in the current situation. And those who do, who think they know, don't do. It's quite extraordinary. We've become so placid, so polite, so nice. It's just become so extraordinary. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'll give you an example, simple example. Last Sunday, or was it Saturday? Last Saturday, 25th of April, we had people across this country and in Turkey and in France commemorating and in certain situations celebrating the atrocities of World War One, 
extraordinary. Extraordinary. A lost battle, invasion of somebody else's land, in a dirty little trade war fought by works that are either in the bay. I can understand the relatives of these people who died unneedlessly, remembering their dead, remembering their sacrifice. But we had almost national hysteria. We saw that national hysteria when some, you know, stupid sports reporter, Mr McIntyre, you know, tweets a few things and loses his job. Tweets a few home truths. Now, on the 3rd of December, on a day which is pivotal in the history of this country, Eureka Day, you'll be lucky to find 100 people celebrating Eureka Day in Ballarat. And if you're really lucky, there may even be a Eureka flag flying over the mass graves of the 22 men who were buried in that grave in the old Ballarat Cemetery, if you're lucky. And there'll be no articles, there'll be no hysteria, there'll be no radio programs, there'll be no television programs, and those who go there will be, you know, denigrated, harassed for taking the day off, for marking what is one of the most important days in this country's post-colonial histories. Eureka Day wasn't just the 3rd of December 1854. Within 12 months of Eureka Day, life in Australia had changed forever. The momentum of people taking up arms to defend their inalienable rights and liberties and dying. It was a loss. Like Gallipoli, it was a loss. People died on the day. They died on the day. They lost the battle. But they won the war. The radicalisation of the Victorian population led to the acquittal of the 13 men who were tried for high treason who were facing execution. All of them were acquitted. It led to the ringleaders, Mr Humphrey and Mr Laylaw, being in Parliament within 12 months. It led to universal male, male suffrage. It led to the breakup of the stranglehold the squatters had on land in Victoria. It led to the election of radical activists into the Victorian Legislative Assembly, which saw Victoria in 1871, become the first place on earth which legislated for free, universal, non-religious education for every child, which saw 600 schools being built within two years of that legislation being passed, which saw legislation being passed which protected workers' rights. Arguably, in the Australian context, what happened in Ballarat on the 3rd of December 1854 had profound, much more profound ramifications than what happened at Gallipoli on the 25th of April 1915. Much more profound ramifications. But in this country, we celebrate and commemorate one, ignore the other. Even in Ballarat, a city 
that has made hundreds of millions of dollars from the Eureka Legend, even in Ballarat. The Eureka flag has never been flown off the main flagpole on the Ballarat Town Hall. Never since 1854. Just an extraordinary state of affairs. And it highlights the type of society we've become where unpalatable truths, inconvenient truths, are swept aside. As we know, 26th of January, Invasion Day, huge celebrations. Who else would celebrate as their national day the forced dispossession, the murder, the rape of people who'd lived on this continent for over 40,000 years? Just an extraordinary state of affairs. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Traitors. It's a good word, isn't it? Traitor. T-R-A-I-T-O-R. Traitors. Now, every time some poor, marginalised, dispossessed person, every takes some type of unilateral action, every time some idiot like me or you takes part in a demonstration, every time some worker goes on strike or withdraws their labour, every time somebody fights for those inalienable rights and liberties that we are born with, we see a police presence. We see the state reacting. We see the media marginalising us. We see them denigrating us. Constantly. And when we win, and on those few occasions we win, and we do win, our input into that struggle is written out of the pages of history. Written out. Forgotten. Because what we need to remember is every important social, cultural, economic advance that has occurred in this country since the colonisation process began on the 26th of January 1788 has been led by people like you and me. Has been led by people like you and me who are willing to put the public interest before corporate interests, who are willing to put the public interest before individual interest, who are willing to take that action to ensure that everybody in this country enjoys the largesse of the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth of Australia. Don't forget, this is the Commonwealth of Australia. The wealth, theoretically, is held in common not given to the corporate sector for a song. So how do we find ourselves in such a situation where the gap between the haves and the have-nots is increasing, where it's becoming almost impossible for ordinary working people to pay off a home in their own lifetime if they can get the money together for a deposit where over 45% of Australians are burdened by debt they will never 
escape from. Where every time we stand up for our rights, we are pilloried and marginalised and harassed. How have we come to this position? And we've come to this position because we have vacated the political arena. We've left it to the experts. We've left it to the professional bureaucrats. We've left it to the, you know, the orthodox political parties. We have sat on the sidelines and watched and watched and watched and watched like you watch a football match or a tennis match. You sit on the sidelines. You go, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. There isn't a time you ran on the field. And there are various ways you can run on the field. Now, over the last few weeks, I've spoken ad nauseum about public interest before corporate interests, and I'd like to do it again today. What is public interest before corporate interests? PIBC, P-I-B-C-I. It is a new political, social organisation with a foot in both camps, a foot in the camp of direct action, a foot in the camp of political action through the ballot box. And I've been amazed by the slow response. Every week, every day, I receive phone calls, emails, people complaining about this and people complaining about that, people involved in issue-orientated campaigns, whether it's marriage equality, whether it's animal justice, whether it's, you know, secular education, and the list goes on and on. But there are few, if no, organisations or political groupings in this country which have the capacity to incorporate all those issues. And public interest before corporate interest is modelled on the emerging political movements which are happening in Europe as we speak where the orthodox political parties have been pushed aside and new political groupings, social groupings, cultural groupings, political groupings have been coming together with one thing in mind, to put the public interests before corporate interests. The deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, Globalisation revolution, which has spread over the globe over the last three and a half decades, has been all about putting corporate interests before individual interests. It's got to such an um, it's got to such an ex- public interest. It's got to such an extent that we now have commercial free trade agreements which override the sovereign right of governments to legislate in the best interests of the people they represent. It's got to this stage where unaccountable corporations whose major responsibilities to their major shareholders, whose only aim in life is to create ever-increasing profits irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs, have now tied up this country and other countries in so-called free trade agreements which remove the sovereign right of elected governments to pass legislation to look after the interests of the people they represent. 
that's the final straw which led to the formation of public interest before corporate interest. So every issue you can think of, public hospital, what is in the public interest, housing, is it in the public interests to give investors that have two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, a hundred homes a tax deduction, a tax deduction because they own more than one home or is it in the public interest to provide public housing for people who will never be able to get their foot into the private marketplace? Is it in the public interest to privatise state assets and virtually give them away to the private sector at a peppercorn price? Is it in the public interest to have private part, private public partnerships which allow the private sector to make inordinate profits at the expense of the public sector? Is it in the public interest for us to support governments overseas who have nothing to do with the fundamental freedoms that we claim we support. So public interests before corporate interests is a political party that has the potential, and the key word is the potential, to actually turn politics on its head in this country. But there is a gap. There's a rhetoric reality gap, as there is in everything in this country. A rhetoric reality gap. We have people who say they are interested in change. We have people who say they want change. We are people who are willing to complain at the drop of a pin. But are people willing to take the next step? Are we willing to take the next step? It is one thing to know, it's one thing to hope, but it's another thing to do. Knowing does not equal doing. You can know about the concentration camp which is at the end of your street. You can know about the poverty which is in the suburb next to you. You can know about the unfairness of the current justice system, but doing is what changes things. So I am encouraging you to join public interests before corporate interests. I'm encouraging you to look at the website, pibc.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. Don't just put Pipsy on your engine, just put pipsy.net p-i-b-c-i dot net bang up it'll come p-i-b-c-i not computer literate we're not like the government gilded abc or the corporate owned media we cater to all people you can write to us yes we still answer letters post office box 20 parkville 3052 post office box 20 parkville 3052 can't afford a 70 cent stamp you can always leave a message on 0439 395-489. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. We not only think and know, but we do. And we encourage you to move from thinking and knowing to doing. 
That's right. Sounds like one of those, um, you know, one of those uh, know-everything books. But it's the reality, isn't it? You can sit in a corner and think about it for all you like and you're not going to levitate the White House. You can sit in a corner and, you know, know about all the horrible things that are happening and all the wonderful things that are happening, but nothing's going to change unless you become part of the doers. Sever your ties with the I'm going to do something about that tribe. Sever your ties with that, with uh, somebody should do something about that tribe. You're the member. You're the one who can do something about it. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. Network. My name's Joseph Toscane. Hopefully it'll be Joseph Toscane after the end of the program. You can ring us on 0439 395 489. Go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. Have a look at all the things that are available. You don't like anything, form your own group, form your own association. Do not just know. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. You can, uh, if your local community radio station doesn't, and I can't believe they wouldn't, broadcast the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse, well then, knock on the door of the station manager. Ask them why you don't broadcast the Anarchist World this week and ask them to broadcast it. Thank you once again. Listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. As I said at the beginning of the program, if you missed the program, don't despair. If the program is podcast. Go to 3cr.org.au. You can access the podcast at your leisure. Send the podcast to your friends. Send them to your enemies. Let everybody know about us. But more importantly, hopefully we'll see you at one of the many events that we organise. And if you can't make it, don't forget, you can always come on the 3rd of December, Eureka Day, Ballarat, a great day. Thank you once again for listening to us on the Anarchist World this week. Translate listening into knowing, translate knowing into doing, become part of a widespread social, political and cultural movement that ensures that we maintain those rights and liberties that we've born with to ensure the Commonwealth is enjoyed by all, not just a rapidly shrinking minority. Thank you once again. Listen to The Anarchist World this week on your local radio station next week. That's it. We're waiting for the sacred cows. We're going to unleash the... We're going to take off their ties. We're going to let them run around for another week and we're going to oil them down, feed them nice. We don't actually execute them. We just like to wrestle with them. You've seen a lot of sacred cows wrestle to the ground this week. If you've got a sacred cow we haven't attacked, let us know and we'll think about it. We won't promise we'll do it. They may be too dangerous even for the anarchist world this week. Listen in next week on your local community radio station. Sorcerer of death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist world this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.